0: Calling professor at the University of Georgia, Thomas Baker. Welcome back to another episode of Let Me Tell You. Today is a little bit of a different episode. Today we're talking to Thomas Baker, a professor at the University of Georgia, go Bulldogs, about the NIL laws, name, image, and likeness in college sports. Because for some of you who might not know, the NCA completely... Lifted the restrictions on college athletes being able to profit from their name, image, and likeness. We brought in one of the, I guess, an expert you would say in the field of name, image, and likeness in college sports in general. We discussed what name, image, and likeness is, how athletes can profit off of it, some of the dangers that awaits athletes if they're not careful who they sign with, some of the downs, some of the mistakes the NCAA made, and a whole bunch more. It's a little bit different than my normal episode. But I think this is some crucial information that'll help every college football fan stay informed, college to sports fan in general, before they make broad sweeping statements like paying the players or NIO will make the game less fun or they won't care as much. No, please listen and enjoy. Please give us some background about the name, image, and likeness situation and how the NCA responded to the Supreme Court ruling.
1: Well, the Supreme Court ruling actually didn't have anything to do with name, image, and likeness as much as it did caps on what athletes can receive via compensation for their uni- from their universities. The name, image, and likeness issue is really prompted by the state of California's passage of the Fair Play to Pay Act about two to three years ago. And following that, a wave of other states started passing their own NIL legislation, which stands for name, image, and likeness. And one of those states was the state of Florida. And the state of Florida... Within its bill put that it would go live July 1st, 2021. Whereas California's legislation, which was technically signed by it, that state's governor first, would not go into effect until 2023. So with you know, Florida going live on July 1st, the NCAA made the decision to basically relax all of its rules on NIL restrictions starting July 1st, which made sense because otherwise schools within the state of Florida would be at either a competitive advantage or they would face, the athletes at those schools would face some sort of sanction by the NCAA unless something were done. As we saw, a bunch of athletes yesterday, July 1st, just started solicit. I guess
0: the best way to describe it is soliciting or posting deals they signed. Is this how it was supposed to happen or is there Is this how everyone imagined it or is there another?
1: I don't think we pictured anything, really. Uh, What some of us who have been advocating for these types of freedoms have been pushing for is, is one of two things. Either A, we treat these quote unquote student athletes as students, meaning that they have the same rights, freedoms and responsibilities as any student on campus. And we don't impose on them tighter commercial restrictions than that which would be afforded or imposed upon any other student. The other option, of course, would be to treat these individuals as as professionals and negotiate with them collectively, preferably, to where restrictions could be imposed as as part of good faith negotiations in a collective bargain for situation. Either one of those outlets either one of those paths would have would have worked but the NCA was trying to to go a middle path where it could have its cake and eat it too when you know it did not want athletes to have the same freedom as other students on campus so it treated them as professionals when it was convenient to the NCA and its member institutions but when people called attention to the commercial exploitation, the fact that the schools were making so much money, the fact that the coaches and everyone around the programs were making so much money. And they were, while the athletes were restricted from both earning their fair share of the money coming in and from being able to utilize their, their own uh, commercial reputations that they built up, you know, in those situations, they would say their students, their students first, you know, it, it was a a situation where the NCAA was pretending they were students when it was convenient and pretending they were, and treating them like employees when it was convenient. And it, it was unsustainable. And what we saw, and I do think that the Supreme Court's decision is relevant, both in NIL and in overall compensation scheme discussions, because, you know, it, it sends a message to the NCA that, you know, the highest court in the land no longer affords its amateurism rules the same deference that it once did. When you're looking at this from like a student athlete's perspective, Do you know of any schools? I mean, you're
0: you're a professor at UGA. I don't know if George has mentioned anything, but do the schools have mechanisms put in place that help students not get taken advantage of because they've spent their whole lives not being able to have representation or agents because that would cost them their amateurism. So who keeps them from getting completely ripped off?
1: That's a good question. And right now we are in the great unknown. I don't think that the... I would be hard pressed to think that there's any school out there that is fully prepared for, for what happened yesterday. And um, I think a big reason for that is not negligence on the part of these schools. It's because everyone was thinking there would either be a federal legislative act in response to what was happening at the state level, or they were thinking that at some point, the NCAA would step in and provide its own guidance. and fact the ncaa was preparing to do this it had a commission in place and and reported back to the membership with a a proposed plan but that that got tabled because the department of justice sent a warning letter to the ncaa in early january saying we're watching you and we'll bring an antitrust action if, if you take steps that are in violation of the law and and, and how you restrict student-athlete NILs, or basically hinted at that. So uh, the NCAA's position now is that, you know, it it got stuck in a very unenviable situation of where state legislative groups were dictating to the NCAA what its policy would be. And this is because the NCAA has just really been so exploited and so negligent in how it's managed its NIL policy for the past you know, 10 or so years. It should have been when it saw that the wave of time was changing, that we were moving in this direction, that it was losing ground in terms of you know, respect from both the courts and, the, and then the court of public opinion, and that people were, were, were fed up with the exploitation. It should have acted swifter, and it didn't. So now the member institutions are in a pickle. They don't, they're they are left to figure out what to do. There's very little to no guidance from the NCAA. We're just kind of playing this by ear. And I mean, we, I mean, the entire industry of college football and college basketball and college inter, intercollegiate athletics. Because let's keep in mind also that while we tend to think about men's football and men's and women's basketball is the two, three sports that could generate the most, you know, from NILs. Look at some of the athletes that were signing endorsement deals yesterday. We're talking about across all spectrums of all sports, and I think that this is going to be a, a tremendous opportunity for women athletes in particular. As they are able to, to utilize the fame that they generate in, in college and and hopefully be able to monetize their, their reputations in a way to kind of offset some of the um, inequities that exist in sport
0: but you think about it like there's the gymnast from lsu uh she has a million followers kentucky track runner has tons of followers on tiktok like it's not just social media has kind of surpassed just the not i don't know if surpassed way, but even if you don't play one of the major sports you can it's just basically your social media platform gives you power and in this case actually you can turn it into money right now in let's say Texas, they have already said, in an AP article, I've said in Texas, you can't, there are certain types of brands or uh, you can't endorse anything with alcohol, tobacco, sports betting. And are there, do you think there will be a, like, it's kind of a gray area, but what do you think the the max of school might be able to limit on what someone could endorse? Because let's say you can endorse handguns in Texas, but you can't endorse e-cigarettes. So what are the, what do we, what do you think a limit could be placed on schools that could they yeah. could have?
1: Yeah, we've we got to figure this out. I think it's got to be done at an individual school level. Right. Because if conferences or if the NCA tries to do something, then what we're going to have is a combination contractor conspiracy that could raise antitrust problems. And okay. that gets us back into the same regulatory conundrum that we were in prior to the NCA lifting its limits. Most of the state legislative acts thus far have put some sort of limits within their bills. Like for instance, California's legislative act prohibits athletes from competing directly with the schools in terms of the endorsement deals that they generate. Now this could be very problematic. And this is something that needs more attention. It's something I tend to write on. And that's the fact that most major institutions have official sponsors across every product category. Mm -hmm. So if they want, they can freeze out their athletes by restricting their athletes from competing directly with their, with their sponsors, with the school's official sponsors. And I mean, like at UGA, we even have like, I think like an official yogurt. What does that leave athletes when they, when you know, when they they can't take on fast food endorsements, they can't take on alcohol endorsements, they can't take on automobile endorsements, they can't take on even yogurt endorsements. So It's going to be interesting to see if these schools do this, if they they want to protect their official sponsors, or if they're going to open the doors to let their athletes do whatever. Because think about this. The University of Texas is saying you can't endorse alcohol, for example. But Texas A&M, and let's say it's not in the state's legislation, but Texas A&M says, well, at our school, you can't.
0: It's going to bring that
1: up. Yeah, that could be a, a recruiting advantage for Texas a yeah. and And what this does is it puts the, by putting competition at the school level, that's when we, we really create a, what we're going to see is a race in this regard to, to see which schools provide the most opportunity for their athletes. And I think we could see a situation where the schools also that create those mechanisms, mechanisms you were talking about earlier to protect against exploitation, because I don't think they're existing now. But if uh, schools really start trying to bring in what I would call a brand coach to help an athlete, you know, figure out what's the best way to to maximize my my reputation here, I think schools that do that will be at a, a serious competitive advantage for top talent, you know, because they'll be able to help their talent generate opportunities.
0: Right. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I I have noticed some, at least some schools are claiming they have brand coaches. I don't know how good those brand coaches are if they're actually versed in this because we never knew. Like I've seen my school said, Oh, well, Washington state, they have the Cougar pursuit. They're supposed to help you. I don't know how in-depth they go. I hope it's a lot because I don't want people getting ripped off. But what I'm thinking is does the name of his likeness actually, do you think it could potentially actually sway recruiting? Because right now there are six schools that get all of the top recruits. Do you think, this could actually help change the power dynamic, or is it still generally going to be Ohio State, Georgia, LSU, Ohio State getting the top recruits? You
1: know, that's fascinating. And, and the answer to this is I don't know. It's very possible. And here's why we could see a shift to where schools that are located in larger metropolitan areas might get an opportunity based I on media market. Think time. about this, like you could have, you know, like the, the Los Angeles universities in the PAC, you know, the PAC 12, they would, right. they might be at a serious advantage in terms of the opportunities that they could present to their athletes. Whereas we could see a situation where schools that are in smaller market states might be at a disadvantage. So it would be interesting to see if this, you know, it, it, although school reputation has a lot of sway too. I would think that a, a top rated athlete at the University of Alabama, even though it's in a small market, might be able to generate a substantial sure. amount of media attention merely from playing at the University of Alabama. But will that be true over time? Will that hold over time? Or will we see what we've seen in professional sports where athletes like LeBron James leave Smaller market professional franchises to gravitate towards larger markets that that can create more media opportunity.
0: Okay, yeah, it would become basically. Well, some people were fearing it become a business, and it seems like it could potentially become sort of it's, like business. Let,
1: it let's is a business. Know, it's the been NCAA. a business for, right. for a long, long time.
0: The NCA is making billions off the athletes. I'm not a fan of the NCA, but yes, they are definitely. It, but then people don't like to think about their college athletics becoming players could potentially be making a business decision but honestly they've been doing it too i don't i I,
1: why is that see we think that we're told that
0: right i don't have an issue with it well why i i have no issue with it i think i won't change my rooting interest it won't i don't care if our basketball players make hundreds of millions of dollars i'll still root for them it's just people view i think they view it as like this not pro but it's just this bastion of they're just kids who really want to play sports that's how yeah. I think people view it. I don't think it's fair to the kids, but that's how people view it.
1: Uh, see, the, I mean, first off, let's be real. This idea of like, you know, for the love of the game is, is, is a nice concept. And I do believe that most, most college athletes love what they do. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I teach them, I talk to them and you can see the passion for their sports. And I, I love my job. I, I have a passion for sports law. I, I love being in the classroom with my wonderful students. I love working on research and writing for Forbes and such. But would I do any of this if it were all for free? No, no, I've got to eat. The fact that the University of Georgia pays me doesn't mean that I love what I do any less. It just allows me to do what I love yeah. for a living. And I think in this situation, it's very similar. And listen, I've got family members who engage me with the same conversation and they're like, you know, oh, it's ruining the sport. It's taking away the passion. And and I I don't, I listen. If the NCAA and its member institutions wanted to keep this truly an amateur activity should have never turned college intercollegiate sports into a multi-billion dollar industry. It's that simple. And that's what it is. A multi-billion dollar industry. When you have bowl games named after corporate partners and, 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 I mean, you have like on-campus arenas that used to be named after people are now named after corporations. We can't call foul when the athletes decide they want their piece of the pie.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100%. I've been banging the drum for this for years because the schools don't really lose any money off of this it's all done through third parties. so i i never understood why this was not allowed i i can't, yeah, the yeah. the paying players by the school i think that i don't think that'll ever happen but i get Oh, no, i do oh you do yeah do you think it's anytime soon
1: uh yeah i think really? we're headed in, i think we're headed in toward collective bargaining
0: do you think that'll uh, do you think that'll change that think that'll actually have a big enough impact like do you think People should be worried about it. It'll damage the sport at all or no?
1: Actually, I think collective bargaining will help provide a degree of control for the NCAA. Oh, sure. Right now, right now- the It's NCAA the Wild West. Is, it's the Wild West. And the NCAA yeah. is very much limited in what it can do and how it can restrain college athletes. But with, through collective bargaining, it's possible to impose restrictions that would survive legal scrutiny. Okay. Because each side has the opportunity to negotiate, right? That's why in the NFL we have a salary cap, and it's allowed, it's permitted, because you can cap what the athletes make, so long as the athletes agree to that cap. okay, in simple terms, you hear this brought up every
0: every day in this debate. I don't, I don't. I had this explained in one of my sports management classes. I'm not super versed, but Title Nine. Everyone says, "Oh, Title nine won't allow this to happen. And I remember hearing that that's not true, that everyone just assumes it. So how does t- Title IX, how does Title IX impact this? The pay, NIL um, and so, Paying Plan?
1: Uh, well, for, for NIL legislation, Title IX has, has no no, okay. no, there's no impact right? Okay. because it only deals with what the school provides. So okay. if the school provides you know, the same opportunities to male and female athletes, then there's what, no issue. what's the problem? Yeah. And I, I, I do see a situation where I, perhaps there will be more male athletes who, who benefit initially from, but maybe not. I, we're seeing a lot of female athletes sign endorsements. Yeah. And, and so I, I think actually we're going to see a benefit for the NIL legislation for women athletes and women college athletes. I think they're going to be given... I, I, especially when you look at the, the unfortunate situation that exists for most women athletes when they, when they turn pro, there's not a lot of money and there's not yeah. a lot of opportunity for them. So anything that can help these athletes make money off of their, their reputations, and, and a lot of these athletes, especially when you're talking about a lot of these you know, Olympic athletes who are in college who, who hit their moments. You know, while they're in college, think about swimmers, divers, track and field athletes. Now, you may be able to stay in school, get their education and still capitalize on their fame financially, where before they would have had to turn pro.
0: They would have had to abandon their
1: education. I think in this regard, it's going to be very helpful to uh, a host of athletes across all sports.
0: As we know, uh, some schools they can either let your players use their logos or not. Do you think, let's say for football, because players are their faces are kind of you can't, you don't really see football players what they look like. So without the logos and you can't see their faces, do you think football players are kind of at a disadvantage because they might not be as recognizable as basketball players? Remotely true, but like you don't you might not be able to recognize yeah. besides Trevor Lawrence he has the hair, but that's pretty much the only recognizable college football player
1: yeah I, I think i think the bigger issue is not as much the head years and i do think that's always a factor yeah uh, in terms of recognizability but i think a, a, a bigger factor is the fact that most athletes and we, we could say professional as well are not what we would call celebrities they don't have a lot of brand power behind their reputations because i mean think about it. can you name the uh third string left tackle for the atlanta falcons can probably you do not. that right now exactly but when we as as normal lay humans encounter professional athletes we freak out I don't care if they're like the you know they're they're the lowest level or the highest level we're like ooh, what's it like what's it like and we romanticize their profession and, and perhaps rightly so but it doesn't make them a celebrity and that's true for college athletes as well we need to keep in mind that a lot of athletes are going to have to get creative to, to be able to generate any opportunity sure. for themselves. Because, you know, whereas I think athletes in higher profile schools will have an easier path, they, they will. What, okay. what, what, what I find interesting is to see what's, what schools are going to do when athletes start turning to OnlyFans. Oh, yeah. You laugh. No, But, but think about the money that could be made.
0: No, true. I hadn't thought about that. That's a very, very good point. Huh. Okay, my last question is that the sh- that the NCAA should give Reggie Bush back as Heisman or reinstate some of the losses, or is it just, no, they don't get it because paying players was illegal then?
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know what the NCAA is going to do about that, honestly. Reggie Bush's situation was a little suspect anyway. Uh, anyways, I kind of think he got railroaded a bit on that. I, I I have a hard time believing they're going to go back and you know undo what has been done. Now the Heisman, you know, uh, association, or whatever they call it, whether the, the football club or downtown football touchdown club or I don't know what the hell it's called in in New York, that that group of human beings, they'll they'll have to make a decision on what they do in regards to the Heisman because they're a separate entity from the NCAA. Oh sure. So if they decide they want to take away your husband, they can. And I mean, that's their, their prerogative, if they'll probably undo what was done.
0: This is just too soon to see, too, too, too yeah. soon to tell.
1: Yeah. And, and, and it was wrong, allegedly, when, when whatever was alleged to have been done took place. Sure. Okay. Well, thank you for coming on. I appreciate this. Yep. This is fantastic. Happy to help. Unbelievable. But he looked like he was eighteen or nineteen. He looked like a young guy. Ben, you should have done this guy right. What, I get him a stripper? What do you want Whoa, me to do here? I, mean, a I, make, I get him a prostitute? What it's- were you?